I am really excited for um, for that Nicaragua trip. I've I've done probably 20 plus trips, um, mission trips with teens, and that's the reason that I'm losing my hair. Um, but uh, it's just exciting. It's a, it's an awesome time <clears throat> for um for our teens to kind of get out from their normal everyday setting. We do retreats and stuff like that, which is a great time to get away for a weekend. But these mission trips are a chance for them to totally get out of their culture for an entire week. And for me, it's a great time to see who they really are. You know, when you see them for just a few hours a week, you kind of see, you know, who they pretend they are sometimes. But get them on a mission trip where there's, you know, sometimes you don't shower every day um, or, you know, you don't sleep a whole lot. And by day three, you start to see the real person. And unfortunately, they get to see the real me, too. And um, that's not pretty all the time either. But we sit there and we can just kind of, by, by day four, I've already decided which ones I don't want back next year. So we just kind of just make a note and you just sit there and go, all right, that person's, you know. We're, we're going somewhere where they can't go next year, wherever that is. So, um, But it's just awesome. It's a great time to, to, to get together and to kind of really kind of see beyond ourselves. And especially when you get in another culture where you have to rely on God because we're going to Nicaragua where I don't speak Spanish. I've been to Mexico probably five or six times and um, other countries that speak Spanish. And I know how to ask where the bathroom is. And then the rest of it is, it's, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So um, we, we took, um, back in the 90s, we went with Youth with a Mission. And we went, um, it's, a, it's a, um, a mission organization. And the great thing about it is, back then, the, the, the guys, the team that was leading our trip is the same um, group, same, same leaders that are going to be taking us to Nicaragua. And I, so I've been working with them since the 90s, and it's just a great chance. We've got a great connection with them, you know, great trust. And so we, would, um, we were going down to Mexico, and we took uh, three charter buses. We were taking teens down, and, and we get down to Arkansas, and then we'd, we'd take buses, and we'd, we'd drive down to the border. And as we're getting toward the border, Andy, the guy who's leading the trip, he goes, here's what's going to happen, because he's done this plenty of times. He goes, we're going to get to the border. One of the border patrol is going to get on the bus, and they're going to sit there and try to bribe us. And they're going to say, just give me 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it is, and you don't even have to get off the bus. You don't have to unload the, the luggage. You can just go on through. And he said, I'm just not comfortable doing that. I want to do things the right way. And so whatever they tell us to do, we're going to do it. And it may take another two or three hours for as many kids as we had to go through and find your luggage and stuff. So sure enough, we get down to the border. The guy comes on. They have a conversation. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. So the guy goes, all right, fine. Unload. Everyone get your luggage. And we're going to go through the, you know, they have a little conveyor system. It's a little different than in the U.S. But um, so, so everybody gets out. And they're supposed to find their bag. And they're supposed to put it on their conveyor belt. So we finally just said, just grab a bag. It doesn't matter. Just get a bag, put it on the conveyor belt, and stay with it. So we're on there, and as the conveyor belt's going through, there's a green light. And as you go through, if the light stays green, you pick up your bag, you get back in the bus, and you wait for the rest of the group. If the light turns red, you won the lottery, and they get to go through your entire bag, and they'll go through and throw stuff around and take what they want sometimes. It depends, you know. Um, so um, I'm standing behind with this big, burly football player kid. And we're going through, and he has a bag, and he's putting it on there. And so everyone has a bag. You're, you know, this is your bag. And the, the people there at the um, patrol, they're assuming that whatever bag you have is your bag. That's just there in their mind. That's what they're thinking. So he's, the bag goes through. The light turns red. So he's like, 
All right. So they open up the bag. He happened to have one of our girls' bags. And he didn't have a tomboy girl bag. He had, it was the frilly, it was a girly girl bag. And there was no doubt about it. And so he opens up, and we can't see. He, he's kind of opening up. And all of a sudden, he just, he's, he's just going, <laughs> and he starts laughing. And we're like, I wonder, you know. And then he just says, he calls over some of the other guards, and they come over. And he just flips it open, and he goes, what? And he starts pulling out all this stuff and showing everyone. And so here we are. There's probably like 120 of us in the group. And everyone's just cracking up because we know, obviously, but these guards are sitting there going, what kind of group are we letting into Mexico? And so they're just cracking up. And this is probably, we are toward the front line. It's probably 10, 15 minutes in, into it. And it's going to be two, three hours before we're done on the bus and going. Well, they start cracking up so much that they just said, get out of here. Get on the bus. Get out. We don't want to deal with this. So I was like, we're going to do that every time. If that's all it takes is embarrass one kid and save us three hours on a trip. But I just thought it was so funny when, when you know, just his face, because it wasn't just a, you know, a little guy. It was just this big, you know, and, and all of a sudden he's, here's these girls' clothes coming out, and he's, and he's turning all shades of red. But when we're at the border, I mean, as funny as that was, the, the, the funnier thing would have been if I were to get down there and we wouldn't have had passports, okay? When you get to the border, um, you need to have a passport to get into another country. I've done, like I said, I've done a ton of these trips. We've gone, um, there was one time where we were, we were basically taking half of a plane. And we're, we're going from one um, airport, I mean, we get to the airport and we're going to get from one gate to the other. And we're just trucking. We're going as fast as we can. And I got my wife with me and her job is to take 87 passports of the teens that are with us. And she's supposed, I, I, I told them, I said to the teens, I said, you're not carrying your passport. Because all it takes is one kid, oh, I forgot it, or I left it in the bathroom, or something like that, and our entire trip is messed up. So I said, Susie, you've got all the passports. You just stay with me. We're going to get up because we're, we're really tight on the schedule. And so we're taking off. We're trucking down, and she's you know, got all these passports in her bag. Some kid drops their bag in something. So Susie stops, and she's trying to help them you know, with that. And I turn around, and this, this is me. Um, you know, like On these trips, uh, you know, I'm not a Christian. I'm just kind of like, I'm just trying to get the kids, you know, safely from point A to point B. So I turn around and I said, Susie, anybody can do that. You have the passport. I need you up here. And I turn around and I, I just keep going. You know, and like I said, I'm an idiot. And so but we get up there and we're, we're, you know, getting people through. But if I would have got to, you know, to, to the um, border there and I would have gone to one of the, the guards there and said, I don't have a passport. I can't legally get into your country, but here's the deal I have for you. I've studied your laws. I know what, you know, I should do. I know your regulations, and I have done those. I've done them for years because I knew this day would probably come. And so I think just because I don't have the proper paperwork, I think you still should let me in. Mexico would probably say, okay, all right. You know, but, you know, there are some countries that are going to say, no, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The reason I share that is because this morning we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3. And if you've got this Bibles in front of you, if you don't have yours, if you want to um, follow along as we read that in a minute here. But if we get to the point where we think that that is normal, that's what Paul is writing about in Galatia when he's writing to the Galatians. Because these people are, are being taught that 
You don't get to heaven. You don't get to the border of heaven and stand before God and get in because you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. That doesn't, that's not the only thing that's going to work. You're going to also have to follow all the laws and all the regulations. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to understand that Christ died on the cross, but also understand that you have to follow all these laws and regulations, be circumcised, do everything that the Jews have to do. Because Galatians are Gentiles. They're not born Jews. And so you've got these Jewish people who are saying, hold on, if we, in our belief, understand it to be where we have to follow certain laws to get to heaven, then, then the Gentiles have to do the same thing. They've got to follow the same laws or else it's, it's not fair. And so they're going around and you've got the Judaizers who are basically Jewish leaders who are coming in and saying, we are following the customs and the laws of our religion. And everyone else has to do that as well. And so they're teaching this to these non-Jews and they're saying, you can't get to heaven just on Christ alone. You've got to make sure that you're doing these works as well. And I want to sit there and, and preface this by saying that what Paul is saying throughout Galatians and throughout the New Testament is that it is not by our works that we're saved. See, Paul is writing directly to a group of people who are being taught that you work and you're saved. You know, you, you're good enough, you get into heaven. So Paul is writing. His, he's not writing to sit there and say, don't do good works. His whole point of writing is to sit there and say, those works aren't saving you. But to sit there and say that Paul's saying don't do good works is missing it too because as you go along, even in his writings, but then you go to James, and James talks about the fact that if we don't have things in our life to show that we're following Christ, we've got a problem. There's something wrong there. But James is writing to a group of people who say, I'm saved. Christ died on the cross. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. I can live any way I want. So James is writing over there to these people saying, you're missing it. Paul's writing to a different group who are being taught, you have to follow all these laws. And so he's, his, his whole point is, I'm not going to sit there and dwell on the works part as far as what we should do after we're saved. He's saying, I want to dwell on, on the misteaching that you're being taught, that those works are what gets you to heaven. Because the title of our sermon is, Christ is our passport. When we stand before God, the passport that's going to get us over the border is Christ. Believing that Christ died on the cross. We hear the gospel, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we're sinners, we need Christ. We believe that and we accept that. That's how we get across that border. It's not by how good we try to be leading up to that. And so that's why Galatians is being written is because these people are being taught something totally different than what Paul had taught them. And so we're going to look at Galatians um, chapter 3, the first 14 verses, but I'm going to start with the verse that Matt left off on last week and on Galatians 2, verse 21. So if you get your Bibles, go to read along. I think it'll be up on the screen. Um, Do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear as to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard from Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect on your own human efforts? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? 
I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So he starts out in these first few verses and he says, you heard the good news. I came in, I preached the good news about Christ. You heard it, you believed it, you accepted it. You were going along. But then all of a sudden, these Judaizers, Jewish leaders came in and they said, not, that's not enough. There's more that has to be done. And the interesting thing is, is that these Jewish leaders were people that looked back to Abraham and said, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our model for us to follow. They, looked, they lifted Abraham up. And then, so, so Paul knows that. And so he starts out by saying, why would you possibly think that you start out with Christ on the cross to save you? And then all of a sudden, it's gonna, later, it's going to change to something else. And so Paul starts with that. And then he goes in, starting with verse 6. And he takes on these, he's really kind of talking to these Jewish leaders and saying, hey, if you want to lift up Abraham, let's look at Abraham. So he goes back and he says, in the same way, Abraham believed God. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to the time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed the good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So he comes up, Paul says, you're under God's curse because the Bible says, if you don't obey perfectly every command that I've given, then you're under a curse. You're under God's curse, separated from God. So we'll think and we'll sit there and may think those Ten Commandments, if I can sit there and not murder my neighbor today and or you know we go through those i haven't done this i haven't done that but what we don't realize is that there are more than just 10 commandments in the old testament that that they're talking about here there are about 613 different commandments or laws that god had for the jewish people and so when he writes this and he's saying if you don't follow the law perfectly you're under god's curse he's talking about if you don't follow every 600 plus of those commands you're cursed and not just follow them when you want to. It's not a buffet where I can pick and choose and say, today I feel like obeying this law, but I don't like that one because I'm uncomfortable with that. God says, every law I give, if you don't obey it perfectly, then you're cursed. And so that's what he's talking about here is, is that if you want to sit there and say that that's how you get to God, you're in real trouble because you, you can't, we can't do that. Then he goes on and he says, this way of faith is very different in verse 12. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who our believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So just a quick 10-second outline of what Galatians um, 3 is talking about is salvation by Christ's death alone, by faith alone, not by what we do. And it's by God's grace alone. 
The Holy Spirit is given to those who believe. Abraham was saved through his faith alone. No fallen human being, all of us, can keep God's law 100%. And then faith is the only way to receive the free righteousness of Christ. So Paul's coming out and saying, I preach the good news. I preach that we're all sinners. None of us deserve to be in God's presence because we're all sinners. And we're all under God's curse. But it goes on and says that Christ came down and he lived the perfect life. And when he died on the cross, he took that curse upon himself. He took our curse on himself on the cross. And Paul said, if you believe that 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 curse was taken from us onto Christ, then we have that relationship with God. And that relationship is restored. But that's the only way. So people are excited about that. They're believing it and they're living it. But then all of a sudden, these people come in and they start teaching something different. Paul's gone and you've got new leaders coming in saying, hey, we want you to understand that believe, you can believe that Christ died on the cross, but you also have to believe that there's certain customs. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow these rules and regulations. So when Paul hears this, he's like, I've got to address this. The whole book of Galatians is, is talking about that. And um, so when we, we look at the Judaizers, Acts 15, basically back then in Acts 15, Paul is talking um, to some people, and he and Barnabas are going through these missionary journeys. They go to different um, areas of the world, and they're sitting there, and they're proclaiming the good news. They go to Galatia. They go to Ephesians, Ephesus. They go to you know, Corinth. All these different places. They plant churches. They start churches, and things are going great, but then all of a sudden... People come in and start doing false teachings. So in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are sent to go in here and, and to address and to confront these religious leaders that are sitting there trying to, to add to the gospel. And he's saying, this, you know, this isn't going to work. And so a, a, after he's gone, he hears that it's still going on. So he comes back and he has to, to write you know, to his people here. And so when we, when we look at um, Galatians... just a general outline that I want us to look at is when we try to follow the law. And I'm thinking about today. You know, back then, it's just like it is today. A lot of times we think, I can't be right with God just by trusting in Jesus. There's got to be more to it. I have to do something else to be be right with Jesus. And we get mixed up with the fact that God has called us to do good works. He has called us to live a righteous life. Because of the fact that we have a relationship with him. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that allows us to do that. We can't do it on our own. There's no way we can live the right life on our own. So we look at that and we, and, and we, we say, all right, I hear that. I hear that, that I'm saved by faith and that God has called me to that. But I feel like I have to do these things. Not because I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I need to do these in order to either be saved or to continue to be saved. And that's the, that's the trouble that the Galatians are having, and that's sometimes the trouble we might have, is that we're doing things not out of love for God for what he's done for us. We're doing it out of fear that we might not be with God in heaven if we don't. And you can see the difference there. It's, it's tough to sit there and, and have that relationship. If my kids are doing things around the house because they fear that I'm going to punish them if they don't, it's different. I'll, I don't care. I'll, I'll still do that as long as they do it. But, um, if, but if they come up and they say, you know what, I love you, and I just want to do this, 
when Susie and I wake up from fainting, then what happens is we, that, we enjoy that relationship a lot better than the, them doing it because they feel like they're forced to. And that, that's what God's trying to say is, you're, I don't want you to, to do this because you feel you're forced to do it. I want you to do it because you love me, because of what's happened. And so when we get to the point where we say, I have to do these things to be right with God, the first thing that happens is we deny the work of Christ. We deny all that Christ did on the cross. because We say, Jesus, thank you for doing that, but you know what? It wasn't enough. There's more to it. You did your part, but now I've got to come along and I've got to do my part. I use the analogy of um, if, if I'm doing a, like uh, my daughter, Stephanie here, if she's doing a tug of war, and she's got a tug of war and she's got a kid, she's got a kid that she's going against that, that I could probably beat. So it's not, they're not real big. But, but they could beat Stephanie. And so she's up there and she's tugging and she's getting yanked around. And I come up and I say, Stephanie, let me take the rope. And she's like, no, I got this. This is fun. And she's getting whipped around and she's going to have to go see a chiropractor. And then, you know, kind of get, get her back fixed and stuff like that. And so she's getting whipped around. I say, would you let me take the rope? And she goes, no, but I'll let you help me. And I look at and I say, Stephanie, get out of my way and let me take care of this. And if she says, here, you, I'll hold on to it, but you, you help me. It's not going to work as well as, as if I say, get out of the way and let me take this. And that's what God is saying is, don't sit there and get in my way. When it comes to the work of salvation, I've got this. Now step out of the way and let me do this. But a lot of times we come up and say, God, I know you're God and I know you created all this cool stuff out there, but you still need me. It just seems kind of strange when we sit, we sit there and we, and we kind of truly understand how awesome God is and just sit there and say, yeah, but you know what? You need me still. God doesn't need us. For anything, I hope you understand that. He wants to have a relationship with us, but there's not something where God is saying, oh boy, you know what, if I don't have Nelson, boy, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it. That's, you know, I want to believe that sometimes, but that's not the case. God says, I want to have that relationship, but it's going to be because of what I've done and what Christ has done on the cross. And it goes on and says, the stumbling block of the cross. The Bible talks about the, the cross as a stumbling block. The stumbling block of the cross, the thing that makes it so offensive, is that it means that we're helpless. See, back in, in the, the day that this was written, it was offensive to people to hear about the cross, mainly for two reasons. First of all, they didn't want to believe that Jesus was God. They didn't want to accept that. And so they're going to sit there, and if somebody comes out and preaches the gospel and says, Jesus, Son of God, God himself, came and died on the cross, people are offended by that. But then people are also offended because all of a sudden now you're telling them that they are hopeless and they're helpless. And they can't do it on their own. Now, a lot of us today probably don't deal with so much about Jesus being God. We might. But most of us here deal with a pride issue. Anyone relate? Just me? Okay. So, we deal with a pride issue. We don't want to think that we can't do something. I deal with this pride issue when it comes to stuff around the house, as most of you know, or if it comes to my car. I've, I've sitting there, and I, t- I told you before, I had my car going, you know, into high V. I don't have any front tires. One tire is off totally, and the other one's flat, and I get into high V, and I look at it, and I want to be the guy that says, let me pull out the jack, and let me fix this thing up, and get it going again. But I'm the guy who sits there and goes, crap, I don't even know where the jack is. 
and I don't know if I have a spare, and I've, I've never, you know, had to do this, you know, I'm like, come on! And so, you know, luckily I just called AAA and say, you know, come out and fix my car. But, you know, and stuff around the house. I don't want to sit there and, and Susie goes, Nelson, you know, we got a problem. And I know it's a test that she just wants to mock me. I know it. I know that she wants to sit there and go, Nelson, I know that you can't fix anything. But here, um, the water is leaking. And, and I'll go out and I'll say, yep, but you know what? It's winter. It'll freeze. You know, so whatever the case is, we don't want to look helpless. But the cross makes us helpless. It makes us admit we can't do something, that we have to trust in God to do that. And that's offensive to a lot of people. And I share um, certain stories. I only have about four or five stories that I share, and I just keep doing them. So if you've been here for the six years I've been here, you've heard these a number of times, and you can just repeat them after me. But since I only have you know, three or four stories, I'm just, I just keep using them and just changing them. But um, my daughter, Jessica, is 21 years old now. When she, was, um, when she was born, or, you know, wanting to be born, um, I'm in there, and Susie was in labor and for like 36 months. Um, but she was in labor for a long time. It seemed like 36 months to me. And we get to the hospital, and she's going through the whole thing. I've always wanted to be a coach, but the only coach I could ever be is a Lamaze coach. So I took it, and I got a uniform and stuff. And, um, but I'm in there kind of doing the breathing thing. You know, they go through this whole... Do, you know, do whatever it is you're doing. So I'm sitting there trying to help her and encourage her. And any, any guy here who's had kids, you know that something possesses a woman during that time, and she does not become herself. There's like a demon that comes out, and you sit and you, you do your prayers and stuff like that because she starts saying things that she doesn't remember, but I still am hurt by. And, you know, and, and you're sitting there going, just breathe. Just relax, and, and she's saying, shut up, this is your fault, and, you know, and going through this whole thing, and, and so she's going, and, and it's just, it's not working, and so they decide we're going to put a little suction cup, I won't get graphic, but, you know, and help, you know, um, Jessica in the process, and so, Jessica's my daughter, and so they put a little suction cup on her, and, and, and they're trying to help, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting here, and I'm just like, Sorry if you were sleeping. Um, I just hear this big pop. And I, and I go, ah! I start screaming because in my head I just picture they just popped her head off and it's just hanging from the suction cup. And I'm just, there's a lot of thoughts going through my head and they're, none of them are good. And I'm just like, how do I deal with this? Is there like a super glue? What do you do? How do you fix this? And so they come over and they go, Mr. Jenkins, it's okay. And I'm just like, dude, give me drugs. Jesus, I can't handle this. Give, I don't know how men go through this. All right? You know, childbirth is painful for men. All right? You know, I know you ladies say, oh, it's hard. But come on, it's, it's harder on us because we have to see that. So, um, but I know, I'll, I'll get letters later. But, um, but finally, she's born. And as soon as she's born, she's born, I just run right to the bathroom and I just start puking. I'm just like, I, was, I, I have a weak stomach as it is and I've just... It was just one of those moments where I was like, I don't ever want to go through that again. So I had three more kids. So, um, but I, I picture like five or six years later that Jessica comes up and says, hey, remember that day I was born? That was funny. Oh, yeah. And we're having a conversation. And I'm like, no, you don't remember that day. I puked, you know. Um, 
But she comes up and she goes, I am so glad that I could help you in my birth. I'm so glad that I was able to be there to help you and, you know, during that whole thing. That would be kind of strange, but that would also be kind of what we're trying to say to God when we say in our spiritual birth, we go to God and say, God, I should be in heaven because I helped you in my spiritual birth. It's the same idea as my daughter coming up saying I, she helped when she was born. And so that's, that's, the, that's the thing that Paul is getting at when he sits there and he calls these Galatians foolish. He says, you foolish Galatians, do you really think you had anything to do with that? That you had any part in that? It was all Christ and what God did in that gift. And so we deny the work of Christ when we sit there and say that it's by what I do that gets me right with God. And the second thing is we deny the work of the Spirit. The Bible tells us, it says um, that our, the Spirit lives inside us and helps us to live the way that we should live. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it tells us, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We can't boast and say, I'm living a good life because I'm a good person. The Bible says you're living a good life if you're a follower of Christ because you've got the Spirit inside you guiding you, helping you to live that life. But when we try to do it on our own, we're denying the work of Christ, but we're also denying the work of the Spirit in our life. And then Paul goes on and he says that um, if, you, if you think that any of this stuff is because of what you've done, you're totally missing the whole gospel. You're missing everything that I've taught to this point. And then the third thing as we close up here is, is that we deny the glory of God. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even before he made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, when we be- us who belong to his dear son. God gets the glory when we come to Christ. When we start to think that it's any part of what we've done, we've taken part of that glory that goes to God, that God deserves, and we've taken it on ourselves. And we've said, God, you deserve this, but I'm taking this myself. But God's grace and his mercy, we're gonna, the last song that we're going to sing talks about that, the grace and mercy. Grace is, it's, the acronym is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get what we don't deserve. We get grace. We get relationship with God, eternity in heaven when we accept what Christ did on the cross. Mercy is we don't get the punishment we deserve. So grace is I'm getting that relationship with God that I don't deserve. But then mercy is I deserve punishment. I deserve separation from God. But God says I'm taking that away. So God shows his grace by giving us salvation and he shows his mercy by taking away that punishment from us. And so that's and so God should get the glory for that. It shouldn't be us that, that gets the glory for that. There's an illustration I want to close with. It's, um, it's a captain of a battleship, this giant battleship, and he's going through the, the ocean and through the fog, and all of a sudden he sees a ship in the distance. And he, puts, he gets on the radio and he says, um, this is the captain of Battleship Dubuque, because they're going to have one someday. And I need, I need you to, to turn you know, five degrees to the north, we're on a collision course. 
You, say, you know, a little bit later, you, you hear this voice back. Hey, um, you need to turn five degrees to the south. The captain of the battleship gets up and he goes, I am the captain of a battleship. You need to turn five degrees to the north so we don't collide. All of a sudden, this voice comes back and he says, I'm just a worker in a lighthouse. If you don't turn, there's nothing I can do. And when we think about it, the pride of this guy saying, hey, I've got this big battleship, I've, I'm a captain, and all of a sudden he's th- sitting here thinking, that ship over there better move or there's going to be a problem. Well, I want you to understand, that lighthouse is God and his word. And God's word tells us how we get right with God. And if we sit there and think in our pride that we're, we can change that, there's going to come a point where we're going to realize if we don't change, there's going to be a problem. Because God's not changing. Thank God for that, that he doesn't change, that we can always know where he's at. So we have to be the ones to decide that we're going to change. Maybe in, in salvation or whatever it is, if we look at God's word and we say, my life disagrees with that, I can tell you right now, if you don't change, there's going to be a problem. Because God's word isn't going to come back and say, wait a minute, Nelson doesn't want to change. I better go back and change what the Bible says. That's not going to happen. We've got to look at God's word and say, that is God's word. This is what I need to live by. And otherwise, we're going to have a collision course, and it's not going to be good. So when we stand before God someday, and if God were to to ask us, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer that's going to work is to pull out our passport that says, Christ and the cross. That's how we get right with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, you give us so many blessings that we don't deserve, but the most ultimate incredible blessing, Lord, is salvation. That we can spend eternity with you in heaven because of what you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, for your mercy that you don't Give us a punishment that we deserve because, Jesus, you took that on the cross yourself. The cross is the ultimate symbol of mercy. What we deserve, you took on yourself. And I just pray you'll help us to understand that even better as we just go throughout the rest of this day and the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.